You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Hughes darting into the high slot. Now around Zetterland on the left wing towards the goal. He scores! I gave him a fistball. I don't know if that's you're allowed to do that. I, I did it, though. He did it. Chomp at Googly Googly. Good protection aired out. Valdez Scantling dropped it. Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, big show ahead on a Tuesday. Guest list begins at 6.30. Greg Wyshynski, ESPN NHL insider, is going to join us. We are going to talk exclusively with Wish about news of not the World Cup of hockey, but the return of international competition in an NHL format. And I got a question. Did the NHL steal our idea? No. Okay. It sounds... We had an idea for a summit series between Canada and the U.S. And Sweden, Finland. Yeah, but it's... I didn't think you'd pit those two, like, summit series against one another in a potential final, but Mm -hmm. it does sound like that's what they're going to do. Really kind of interesting outlines that are going on right now for the next NHL international competition before the Olympics. So we'll talk to Wish about that at 6.30. 7.30, Aaron Portsline is going to join us from Columbus. What a dysfunctional organization the Blue Jackets are. If you've missed it over... Well, really, since their inception, but over the last couple of months, there was the Mike Babcock dismissal, very much publicized. Things have not gotten off to a good start under new head coach Pascal Vincent. Johnny Gaudreau is underperforming. Patrick Lyon is a healthy scratch, so we'll talk to Aaron Portsline at 7.30 about that. 8 o'clock, Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, is going to join us on the show in the aftermath of Vancouver's 3-1 win over the San Jose Sharks last night. Uh, so that's the show, working in reverse. 8 o'clock, it's Brendan Batchelor. 7.30, it's Aaron Portsline. 6.30, Greg Wyshynski. Uh, that's enough of running it down. we got a lot to get into. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Another night for Quinn Hughes. A goal and an assist. Ho-hum. Point streak now at eight games. Canucks win 3-1 against the San Jose Sharks at Rogers Arena on Monday. Snapping their brief two-game losing streak in the process. Yeah, it wasn't a particularly... um, um well-played game. Um, San Jose was embarrassed by the Canucks the last time these two teams played, and you could tell that they tried their very best. They tried hard. They tried their very best to have a better effort against the Canucks last night, and they had a better effort. Uh, And Rick Tockett was talking a lot about how the Sharks work hard, and unfortunately for the San Jose Sharks, they're just, they're just not, they're not, they're not, they're not good. They're they're not. It's like uh, it's like in that Caddyshack line. When, it's very well said. When the Chevy Chase uh, character is talking to Roddy Dangerfield's character and going, "You're not, you're not, you're not good." That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, is it good. And uh, that is the San Jose Sharks. And uh, the Canucks got a little bit lucky 
Um, they got, uh, well, I wouldn't say it uh, lucky because I think the goaltender interference was goaltender interference, but they did win a coach's challenge to avoid falling down one nothing. Uh, then Quinn Hughes scored an unbelievable goal, and we'll talk a lot more about Quinn Hughes and that goal he scored last night. And, and then the real key goal of the game uh, came right at the end of the second period after Nils Hoaglander had been uh, given a match penalty, and that would be the five-minute major for slew footing. It's a slew foot. Um, and some terrific play, f- not the slew foot, but some terrific play to get the uh, to get the goal right at the end of the period. I thought Sam Lafferty, who ultimately ended up scoring the goal, made an unbelievable play in the corner because he... He was outnumbered by the Sharks there, and yet he still won battles, made a pass out to Teddy Bluger, who had just come onto the ice, I believe, uh, and then ultimately Bluger scores and Lafferty bangs in the rebound with, like, whatever, less than a second left, 2 nothing Vancouver. Now, the Sharks ultimately did score on the power play to start the third, but that was the goal, I think, that really... Gave the they weren't going to blow a two they weren't going to blow a two goal lead to the San Jose Sharks uh, at home, uh, even though the Sharks did start that third period with quite a bit of power play time. You know, a, a win is a win mm-hmm. as, far, as far as I'm concerned. The Canucks needed to get back to the winning after losing. Oh, you know, God forbid they lost two straight games. Uh, and now, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the San Jose game, but I'm more interested in talking about their upcoming games, including Wednesday's game in Colorado, Quinn Hughes versus Kale McCarr. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how it's going to be pitted. Like, trust me, trust me right now, that is going to be the talk heading into this. Yeah, right, because, I mean, I think you started to see hints at that, allusions to that uh, in the post game yesterday where everyone was busy compiling all their Quinn Hughes-related stats. Quinn Hughes is now the second fastest Canuck to 30 points in franchise history. Only one player has gotten to 30 points faster in the 50-plus years of Canucks hockey. Your man Tony Tanti did it back in 83. Yeah, that was like an unbelievable start for Tony Tanti. I know there's a lot of people that watch those stats and like, what? Who is this Tony Tanti guy? 30, point, had 30 points in 17 games. An incredible start to that season, and the Canucks were... Ultimately, just a terrible, terrible team that year. You know, here I've been thinking about why Quinn Hughes. Well, do has the been, Bobby Orr one. You, the Bobby Orr one. Okay, hold on. Now that's the stats. Yeah. The, well, okay. That's All a right. tease. That's Go. a tease. Go. You got it. Hughes yeah. is the first it. first defenseman to be the first NHL player uh, to reach thirty points since Bobby Orr did it in seventy four seventy five. Bobby Orr also won the scoring title that year mm-hmm. for with one hundred and thirty five points. So when we talk about remember so in the Quinn Hughes is the next Bobby Orr. No, no, no. Well, yes, but in the off season, remember we kind of had the conversation. We're like, you know, Hughes is good. Hughes is really good. Hughes is the best defenseman in franchise history. I didn't think, and I don't think you did either, that there was really another level, a significant level in his game production-wise or in terms of being what he is right now, which is the best defenseman in the NHL and maybe, honestly, the best player in the NHL right now. I mean, I don't know what else to say, but he's the leading scorer in the league. He plays 29 minutes a night for a team that's near the top of the standings. You could make a very, very decent argument that he's a Hart Trophy candidate right now. Uh, Oh, absolutely. So at the beginning of the season when... And he's talked about this before, not just at the beginning of this season, but he's talked about wanting to score more goals. And I remember thinking, okay, I don't want him just shooting the puck from the blue line. Because he did do that a lot, right? Like he would t- he would shoot and it from the top and, you know, a lot of the times it wouldn't go in. And I'm kind of like, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd ra- if, if, you, if that's what you're talking about for shooting, I'd rather you defer to some of the better shooters, Especially on the power play, right? Yep. Like, like, Petey's got a great shot. Uh, Miller's got a great shot. You know, because Manko Besser, there, there are guys out there that can shoot the puck. But there are two things that have really impressed me about Quinn Hughes. Number one, putting himself in better positions to shoot the puck. Like he's not just flinging it from the blue line. He's not just being like, "Hey, I want shot, so I'm going to shoot it right here." What he's done, and it is unbelievable to watch, and he's added to his game is his ability to attack downhill. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And his skating isn't just walking the line. His skating is walking the line, and then he's able to attack spots because he's beating guys. He's not just 
opening up shooting lanes. He's opening up skating lanes, and then he skates into position, and then his shot has improved. So there's two things that I think that are making him turning him into a goal scorer. And again, that is one, he is skating himself into better shooting positions, and his shot is better. Yeah, so you remember how you asked me yesterday if there was anything of note that Quinn Hughes said on um, After Hours because he did Hockey Night Canada on Saturday with Scott Oak and Dave Tomlinson? Mm-hmm. I should have pointed out they actually did talk about that because he's got this sort of shooting garage, and it doesn't sound as bad as it sounds, uh, in his parents' basement in their home in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And he talked about doing a bunch of different stuff not this past offseason, but the offseason prior. And he said he's seeing the effects of two years of work adjusting his shot now. Like, it didn't necessarily come into effect last year. It's come into effect now. So, But do you think it's more his shot? I think it's both. I think uh, that's what you're saying. But it's like when you put yourself in different, more advantageous shooting areas and you've got an improved shot, yeah. that is why Quinn Hughes last night tied his career high for goals in eight even though he's only 19 games into the season. Like, there's a tangible reason, there are two tangible reasons, really. And do we, we have audio on this as well? Tockett was talking about the potential matchup. Well, the- he wasn't talking about the potential matchup. It just came out in uh, Tockett's postgame, Tockett uh, comparing Quinn Hughes' game to Kale McCarr's. You know, it's funny because uh, when I just got here, he was telling me that his tra- he's either hurt or something about training camp. He, he hasn't had a good start for... I think he was hurt a couple of years, and, and uh, for whatever reason, I remember this summer he said, "I have to have a good training camp and a good start." And obviously, he's parlayed into that. I mean, he's been obviously his his walking the the blue line. I mean, he's in the, the Cal McCarr uh, category now. I mean, though, though, I mean, I ever saw a guy like McCarr who walks that outstanding, and you got to throw a Huggy in there. Uh, the, the way he walks that blue line is incredible. It's. <laughs> I was a winger. It's tough when you go out there. You don't know what he's going to do. It's hard. Um, and then the shot, obviously, he's developed that shot. I mean, that he's got a laser now. So talking, talking about how he was a winger, and it's hard when you have a player where you're trying to defend a guy like Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes is consistently not just like opening up shooting lanes. He's outright beating wingers and then skating around them. Mm-hmm. And the goal he scored last night, and maybe we can talk about it from a goaltending perspective because I know Laddie wants to talk about it. Mackenzie Blackwood is looking at this situation and he's looking at Kale McCarr circling around some of his players at the top of the zone. And then he's coming in from the side and he's probably expecting what? He's probably expecting a pass, right? Like a cross-seam pass. And then Quinn Hughes is like, nope, I see a spot. I'm going to shoot it. And then he absolutely rips it past Mackenzie Blackwood, who wasn't square to Quinn Hughes because he was probably thinking, like, I'm going to have to deal with maybe a one-timer. I'm going to have to deal with a really quick shot. It's not going to be Quinn Hughes who shoots it. It's going to be someone else. Yep. Laddie, what did you think of uh, Mackenzie Blackwood, the uh, future Team Canada goalie, <laughs> possibly? I thought uh, Ferraro actually explained it really well in the broadcast about how Blackwood was set up for a, a pass across or potentially him curling in behind the net. So he was flat on the goal line, which is... Uh, the the biggest problem you saw he left the entire glove side open and you saw the view from Quinn Hughes's uh, behind him he had so much room on that glove side because he dropped in a little early mm-hmm. and that's what good shooters do though you're talking about getting him in good areas and this is a way you draw goalies out of position the goalies are taught right at the bottom of the faceoff dot that is when you transition into reverse VH you can see Quinn Hughes was a little above that spot on the ice so he dropped in a little early Hughes recognized that he saw the open side. And then he nailed it with the shot, which is not an easy shot to make. He's been working on that shot. So it was a, a lot of things added together that led to that goal. But first and foremost, it's just a great, smart play by a defenseman shooter coming down and taking it to an area that he knows is going to open up some net for his See, shot. Quinn Hughes was playing chess these last few years, yeah. it, convincing the entire league that he was just a playmaker. So now they're all anticipating pass, and he's ready mm-hmm. to rip it. Also, the also he doesn't anal- trust his defense yeah, at all, which is a big part of it. Uh, also, your analysis of Blackwood, he didn't play big enough. That was how I saw oh, it. Oh, that was your... Uh, that's the, that's okay. the definitive take on that one. <laughs> so the abs are up next. And they have had the weirdest year for an 11 and 6 team who's second in their division and looks as though they're comfortably on the way to the playoffs again, as many expect. They started 6 0 0, 
They had a great start to the year. They looked like an absolute wagon. I used that a lot when you were away. By the way, I was trying to work wagon into the lexicon. Oh, is this spitting chiclets now? Yeah, it didn't work. Okay. It didn't take. Right. So, wagon! 6-0-0. Uh, then they suffered back-to-back 4 nothing shutouts, which was weird. And then they won a game, so everything was good. Then they lost 7 nothing to Vegas, which was bad. Then they won again, which was good. And then they lost 8-2 to St. Louis, which was bad. And then later on in the show, we'll play you some of the audio from their loss last night in Nashville. It was one of the weirdest losses I've ever seen. Uh, it was two goals, the game-tying goal and the game-winning goal surrendered in the final 33 seconds of that game. So we'll play that audio later because we've actually got audio from the Avs broadcast mm-hmm. watching them melt down in real time. And there was, like, legit – they were awestruck almost by what they saw. So I'm Okay, well, odd question. Who were their goalies this year? Because there's always this rotating. Georgiev? Well, Georgiev, was, he had yeah. a moment after the, the did have go-ahead a goal. <laughs> he kind of snapped last night and smashed his stick okay. furiously. And who's the other guy? The other guy well, is... It was Francois, but now he's, he's out hurt. for the year. I'll have to look and see who they are running with as their backup now. I can tell you in a moment. I thought I thought you would have known this right off the hop. I, I, Has there been a bit of a blind spot for me this year? I haven't watched him any of their games. Is it that uh, Pachinko guy? Does that, sound, does that sound right? Something like that? No. Prozetsov. That's oh, pro- yes, because they picked yeah. him up off... What did you call him? I just made it up. I was like, Pachenko? <laughs> they picked him up from Arizona. I forgot yeah, in the offseason. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's... He's played sounds, a grand sounds, total... Sounds um, a good Russian name. He's played a grand total of four games. Yeah, he's not... They played well. Yorgiev almost exclusively, mm. right? And he has been not great. Numbers yeah. have not panned out well. That That's kind of why I alluded they to They got to put Pachenko in there. Yeah. <laughs> First, they have to find a guy named Pachenko and then sign him as a goalie and then play him. Oh, they, they've had a weird year... In terms of goals allowed, like it's not very often that a team with that much talent and who has that kind of record has lost so many games in blowout fashion. So I'll be. As fans are actually starting to call him Alexander Forgiev. He gives a four. Nice. That's a good one. Um, So I I am very much anticipating this game also because it's a marquee game. Mm-hmm. It's a look. The NHL schedule this week stinks. There's no games tonight. There's no games on Thursday, Wednesday. Everybody plays, and the Canucks and Avs is one of the marquee games of the night. Those are two of the top teams in the Western Conference, so that's going to be a great one. Uh, a couple guys that I wanted to discuss last night, uh, in addition to Quinn Hughes, was uh, Nils Hoaglander. What did everyone think of the call? Yeah, okay. I get that slew foots are dangerous, and they can really like screw a guy up. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tockett said it, you don't want them in the game. So if the call on the ice was to err on the side of caution, like... You know, when you get slew footed, it's a long way down to fall. It's a dangerous play. You yeah. can smash your face or head on the ice, and it mm-hmm. could cause like catastrophic injuries. So, if you're going to go a little bit on the side of maybe we went too far in calling the penalty, or maybe because I didn't see a ton of intent, yeah. but I saw the slew, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, That's no, how I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, so, we'll see. I, I don't think the NHL is going to have anything more to say about that, but uh, we'll wait and see you on might that. Get fined. Possibly. Um, I thought Dakota Joshua had a really solid game. And Ray Ferraro was all over it. And, um, you know, at five on five and on the PK, I thought Dakota Joshua was just doing the things. Like, he was using his size and strength to his advantage. Mm-hmm. And Dakota Joshua doesn't always do that, right? He, he he doesn't always play as big and strong as he, as he is. And he did last night. And the Canucks need a player like him. I could probably use another Dakota Joshua as long as there's that consistency. So Dakota Joshua played well. Um, I already mentioned Lafferty winning that battle in the corner and then going to the net and banging in that rebound uh, to make it two nothing. Mm-hmm. That was a huge play. Yeah. Sam Lafferty has as he's never going to be in the top six, but he has a role and he plays it well. And he's been one, he's been a really good pickup for the Vancouver Canucks. Anthony Beauvillier. Now I don't know if this was a demotion for Phil DiGiuseppe or it was related to Nils Hoglander getting tossed out of the games because so the yep. kind of the lines were all jungle, uh, jumbled up. But Beauvillier was eventually in this game on a line with Miller and Besser, and I thought he played pretty well. Yep. And I wonder if um, I wonder if we might see more of that because we were all very happy with Phil DiGiuseppe and the way that he was playing earlier in the season. But you know he's Phil DiGiuseppe, right? He, he he's not he's not 
I don't know from this point forward if he's going to be like an everyday top six winger. Like, I'm Phil DiGiuseppe. I'm no longer that guy that was, you know, going back and forth between the NHL and the AHL. Like, he's still a guy that has probably limited talent, and sometimes you're going to bump up other players onto that spot with Miller and Besser. They did it with Bovilia yesterday, and I thought he did a really good job. And then Mark Friedman was back in the game because Akita Hiroshi came out. Juleson remained in. And because Hiroshi, the left shot, came out, they had four right shot guys, and Friedman played on a pairing with Tyler Myers, and he was on the left side. So that's a challenge for him, and I thought he did a really good job. I thought Friedman played well. He ended up putting a lot of shots on net. I don't know how many he finished with, but he had like five at one point in the game. So, five, yeah. so I thought Mark Friedman played well. Um, let's move into some of the other NHL stories. We got to get a wit. We'll, we'll got and we got to get to wish uh, in about ten minutes. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers lost again, and I watched a lot of this game and. There were a lot of things that went wrong for the Edmonton Oilers. They lost, uh, what was the final score? 5-3. 5-3 to Florida. So that's uh, they lost in Tampa Bay 6-4, and they lose 5-3 in Florida. Florida did have an empty netter. Um, Calvin Pickard started for Edmonton, and he wasn't awful, but he let in one stinker. That wasn't very good. He also and took a holding penalty, I saw. Yeah, that was strange. I don't know how a goalie takes a holding penalty. It was an eventful night for Calvin. <laughs> he, was, he was holding on for dear life because he's the Edmonton Oilers goalie. Yeah. Um, the power play had a, quite a few chances late in the game. And that power play, I think it went 0 for in Tampa. Uh, 0 it, for 3 last night. But but no, no, in Tampa the game before. Yeah. Also had issues. Like, McDavid isn't, uh, he's not, I know he scored twice last night, but he was also having some issues late in the game um, controlling the puck. And I don't know if that was just a blip or not, but I don't know if he's 100%. I know Dreisaitl has been pretty hard on himself, too. He's been talking about how he needs to play better. But, man, I got to admit, the one guy I noticed out there the most was Evan Bouchard. Like, that guy makes a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. And he looks like – I know there was an issue with his – like. The knock on him going into the NHL was his skating, and his skating does look pretty scrubby. You know, like he's not a beautiful skater, but he also, like, he kind of looks clueless out there sometimes defensively. He looks a bit like Klingberg did mm-hmm. in Toronto earlier this season. Like, you're, you're a guy out there, and you're like, yeah, I know what you can bring offensively, but... Do you know what you're doing defensively? Right. And changing the system on him, which is what Jay Woodcroft, the now dismissed Jay Woodcroft did, was a problem. I mean, if you if you read any number of articles being written, including many of them by Mark Spector, who we can get to in a second, um, it just feels like Bouchard is emblematic of the larger problems that they have, is that uh, system change, not adapting to it. Wasn't a great defensive player in terms of defensive awareness to begin with. He's getting exposed. Look, they're terrible. Right now, I don't know how else to describe it. The Knobloch bump lasted a handful of games before they were back to all the same problems that Woodcroft have. They can't keep the puck out of the net. They've given up 11 goals in their last two games. But you can see their potential when you play it, when you watch them play, you know, like the way they can, the way they can attack. Yeah. And, and how many times I'd love to see actually their stats from third periods this season, because they've trailed in a lot of third periods. The problem is, is like, they let in a bad goal, either you know, bad defending or a bad goal from the goalie, on multiple goals often, and then they're trailing. So they're in these positions where they're in the third period and they're down, and they're like throwing everything at the net, and they're just coming in, coming after uh, these teams in waves, and they can't, they can't buy a goal. Yeah. You know, there's so many third periods where I'm like, oh, they're gonna, they're gonna. They're gonna tie it here. Well, they're, they're, or they're gonna they're gonna come back. Like they they have they still have they're still that Oilers team that we watched that scores and scores. They just haven't done it. And you know when the, with these power play opportunities last season, if they'd have those power play opportunities, you're like, oh, they're gonna score. No, well, they, no problem. They just haven't. They're dead in the water if they can't figure out uh, how to keep pucks out of their own. I mean, this is the most basic. Well, thing they're dead on in earth. the water if they can't they, if they don't have a, a, a power play that is you know thirty percent. 
Right. So that was, and I, I want, I do want to play the audio before we go to break because Connor McDavid was asked by Mark Spector about the thing that Speck loves talking about with this team, which is, are you guys so focused on trying to keep the puck out of your net that you're actually just sacrificing what makes you guys great, which is scoring a ton of goals? Uh, here's the interaction between Speck and Connor McDavid following last night's game. Another loss for the Oilers, another one in which they blew a two nothing lead, and another one in which they allowed five plus goals. What's the hardest thing? Like, like defensively, you guys are struggling. Offensively, you got a couple tonight, but the power play's struggling. Like, are you better off to try to win this thing 4 1 or try to win it 7 5? You love this question, but um, I've answered it so many times. We're trying to keep the puck out of our net, obviously. Um, that's our main focus, and obviously, we haven't done that, again, for a number of different reasons. Um, so, um, we're always trying to uh, defend. Um, yeah. And uh, we'll now have, now, now have the comment, commentary from Tim Peel on that uh, question. <laughs> we can get into that, too. That I, I cannot bad. believe that happened. I just, uh, When I was watching that unfold in real time, I'm like, is this happening right now? Like, is this a real thing? Is this a thing that's going on? Right going on? It's amazing. With, oh, it's insane. So our next guest. What, also, what do we think about publishing DMs? No, you shouldn't do that. I don't think you should no, do that. No, that's, that's a foul. We kind of stand against we, that. We had the debate. That's, a, that's, a, that's an off-the-record conversation that you have. We yeah. had the debate in, in this great battle of two very interesting characters and we said look Tim Peel laid the bait he put it out there to try and garner a response and then he also published the DMs so <laughs> that's entirely on Peel like in the court the court has ruled that that is entirely on Tim Peel yes. you're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff you're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff to the phone lines we go Brendan Batchelor joins us now on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650 good morning Batch how are you I'm well. How are you guys? We're good. Do you know we've gone an entire two hours on this program without mentioning that uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were there last night at the game? Didn't even mention <laughs> it. Just rolled off our back. It was just another thing that happened on a night that was really dominated by Quinn Hughes and nothing else other than Quinn Hughes. Um, it's hard not to look ahead to Wednesday's game because the Hughes versus McCarr thing is, was already written before last night. But um, Hughes certainly made another case for that to be the lead story in that game last night. What a performance by him. What a goal by him as well. Yeah, he has elevated his game to a level that we have not seen from him to this point. Um, and and he's doing tremendous things. You know, 30 points in 19 games is is a ridiculous number for, uh, for a defenseman at this point in the season. And to lead the NHL at this point in the season is tremendous. I saw that Sportsnet Stats had the stat last night that he's the first defenseman to be the first NHL player to reach 30 points since Bobby Orr did it in 1974. So he's putting himself in elite company and he's dragging this team along with him, although he's had a lot of help from some of the other key players. And I thought in the game last night in particular, the bottom six was really good and was really important to the Canucks having some success. But make no mistake about it, their top players are what has allowed them to have this success to start the year. And Quinn Hughes is right at the top of that list right now. Batch, with Quinn Hughes and specifically his goal-scoring ability, do you think... It is improved because he's worked on a shot, or do you think it's improved because he is putting himself in prime scoring positions by attacking the other team downhill, beating those players, and not just he's not just flinging the puck on net from the point, he's actually skating himself into prime scoring chances? I would say both. Um you know, obviously we've seen him be much more aggressive, you know, attacking downhill off that left wing in particular, like he did last night on the goal. But, you know, he a couple of years ago talked about how he needed to be more aggressive offensively and needed to shoot the puck more. And it didn't manifest itself right away. But I think we're seeing some of the, the fruits of that labor that he's put in to try and improve his offensive game now with a how confident he is making those moves or being more aggressive to get to areas where he can get the puck to the net and either score goals or create rebounds for his teammates. And then the fact that his shot has improved. And, you know, JT Miller was talking about this 
last night after the game. Uh, it was a pretty good clip, actually. I, I don't know if you guys have run it this morning yet or not, but talking about the fact that, um, you know, Hughes doesn't necessarily have a, a traditional shot, and, and Miller was kind of even teasing him about it, but uh, he finds a way to get the puck to the net from different angles uh, at different spots where maybe a goaltender isn't expecting it, and he's added some velocity there, too, I think it's fair to say, and uh, I don't know if we would have seen the Queen Hughes of, of two or three years ago firing a puck off the post and in like he did last night. So this is a guy that, you know, he's relatively quiet and and humble when you speak to him, but he is supremely driven. And we've seen every offseason, he's taken an element of his game and improved it vastly. You know, a couple of years ago, he really took it personally that he had a really bad plus minus when the Canucks really struggled. And last time I checked, he was leading the league in plus minus this season. Um, you know, he hadn't he wanted to get more shots to the net. He wanted to score more. And we're seeing that now where he's equaled his season high goal total in just 19 games this year with eight goals. So, you know, th- this is a guy that I would always back to continue to improve and grow because he's shown year over year that he puts the work in to make changes, to make himself a better player. And, you know, that's that's what we're seeing right now, a guy that might very very well at this point, not just be the best defenseman in the league, but the best player in the league through the first 19 or 20 games. Okay, Batch, I'm going to list four players that they're complimentary players, but I thought they played pretty well last night. Uh, and you can pick one of them that you agree played well. Dakota Joshua, Sam Lafferty, Anthony Beauvillier, and Mark Friedman. Dakota Joshua is who I would jump to because I think we've seen the biggest uh, the biggest shift in terms of how much impact he's having from the start of the season until now, where at the beginning of the year, you know, in training camp, his fitness was called into question. He was moved out of the first practice group and was skating with the Abbotsford guys. Uh, he was a healthy scratch at one point. Uh, Talkett has talked about him needing to apply himself more, and we're seeing it now. He's being, uh, you know, a much greater physical presence, which they needed from a guy at his size because they don't have a lot of big wingers of his profile, particularly in their bottom six. Uh, he leads the team in hits. Uh, I think he's done a much better job of getting in on the forecheck and, and helping create, and it's allowed him to to have some offense himself in, in fits and starts here a little bit, too. And him and Garland seem to have found a really good chemistry, and I thought they were excellent when Pew Suter was on that line, and mm-hmm. I thought they were excellent last night with Teddy Bluger, too, who you would expect, you know, to to kind of have a little bit of a slow start after missing all that time with the, the injury suffered in preseason. So, um, the Canucks really developing a legit legitimate third line is something that they haven't had in recent years and it's something that is going to be important for them down the stretch because even in the past week or so in in this sort of little little valley in the season where they lost a couple of games in a row and had to had to get back to some of the things that were allowing them to have success you see that some of the even strength scoring from the top players dried up a little bit, and that's going to happen at times in the year. So you need guys down the lineup that either can produce offense themselves or can get out there and turn the momentum in a game, tire out another team, hem them in their own zone to set up your top players to have better opportunities for success and and to produce offense. And that's something I talked to Garland yesterday morning before the game and asked him about, you know, the pride that that line takes in creating momentum and then the team builds momentum from shift to shift and that's something that we're seeing from those guys right now and it's nice to see from Joshua after the way he started the season where the coach was really critical of his conditioning and of the way he was playing. I don't know when Pew Sutter is going to be back in the lineup but when he's ready to go it's going to be a tough decision for who to take out from Rick Talk. The bottom six Last night was Teddy Bluger uh, between Connor Garland and Dakota Joshua. We just talked about those two players, and Teddy Bluger is just back into the lineup. And then the fourth line is Sam Lafferty between Anthony Beauvillier and Nils Hoaglander. Um, you know, I know Hoaglander took that penalty yesterday. Um, I don't know what Rick Tockett ultimately felt about that penalty, but I think we've seen strides from Nils Hoaglander in the last few games. Um Agree or disagree? Tough decision for Rick Tockett whenever Pew Suter is back. 
yeah, I, I agree to a certain extent, although I think it probably will be Niels Hoaglander yeah. that comes out just based on what we've seen from this head coach. And, uh, you know, it's a good problem to have when you've got all your guys playing at a level where, you know, you, you have to pull out a guy that's playing well. But I, I think that'll probably be the case when Suter returns. Hopefully this week. They've been saying he's day-to-day, but he's missed four games now. So, um, And we haven't seen him at a practice or a morning skate with the group yet. Uh, so so it'll be interesting to see how much longer this carries on for Pew Suter. But, um, you know, I, I also, you know, to a certain extent, wonder if there's some supplemental discipline coming for Hoaglander. Possibly. So that could make the decision, uh, you know, a little bit easier for them, I guess, if, if he's going to miss some time with a suspension or something like that. Although I don't think it would be that long of a suspension because they actually did call the match penalty in game last night. And, and usually suspensions uh, for plays like that come when there wasn't an appropriate penalty called in the game. So we'll have to wait and see. But, uh, you know, the, to a certain extent, that feels unfair to Niels Hoaglander because I agree. I agree. I thought he was really good last night. I thought he's been good in the last handful of games. He's, you know, having a presence out there, getting in on the four check, getting under the skin of the opponents and creating some offense of his own as well. Um, but, you know, th- this is kind of a conversation about where this team is is turning in terms of its direction and in terms of how far they've come even in the last few months where, you know, last season it was a rotating door of who was coming in and out of the lineup because nobody was playing to the level that you would have liked and now we're talking about everybody's playing to the level that you'd like and you need to make a tough decision to pull somebody out of the lineup because you've got too many guys that are going well uh, I'm sure Rick Tockett as much as you know it's a, it's a tough decision it's a good decision to have to make as opposed to the alternative do you think Anthony Beauvillier might get some more run with JT Miller and Brock Besser it's it's a possibility. I mean, Di Giuseppe, for the most part, has has been stapled on that line. And other than very limited stretches in games where, you know, Tockett has either put the lines in the blender or last night where he was forced to put the mm-hmm. lines in the blender because he was down to 11 forwards in the third period. Di Giuseppe has essentially been there. But, um, you know, it, it would be interesting to see if they gave Beauvillier a, a chance in the, the top six. I was a little bit surprised in the game that Kuzmenko missed in Calgary that it was Garland that moved up and not Beauvillier because, um, you know, Bill Villier has a, a bit of a history on that line, not that Garland doesn't. But, um, you know, in, in the previous game after Kuzmenko went down, they had used Beauvillier up the lineup in in stretches. And, you know, another factor I think we need to talk about here, not just with Beauvillier, but in any situation where they're looking at who to pull out of the lineup is they're not going to pull a guy out of the lineup who they might be looking to trade going forward here. And of course, Beauvillier is an expiring contract. He's probably not back with the organization next year, which means he's probably not with the organization beyond the trade deadline this year if they can find a move for him. And um, in terms of upping a player's value, it doesn't make a lot of sense to pull him out of the lineup, but it could make a lot of sense to move him up the lineup into the top six to try and showcase him or give him an opportunity to have some more offensive success. So if the coaching staff decides that they do want to move away from D Giuseppe on that line or they do want to look at, you know, maybe some other looks. And, and the thing about D Giuseppe is, you know, he's a guy that you can spot anywhere in the lineup and he's going to play the same way, whether he's on the fourth line or the first line. He'll get it on the four check. He'll do the same things that he's done to allow himself to have success. Whereas I think it's probably fair to say there would be more offensive upside if you moved Beauvillier up into a top six role. We're speaking to Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Batch, before we look ahead to the big game on Wednesday night, I do want to take a brief moment to talk about the San Jose Sharks. You've had the the fortune of calling two of their games this year. Uh, Vancouver now leads comfortably on aggregate 13-2 to over the two games. This is <laughs> one of the worst teams I've seen in a while. They are 3-14-1 on the year. They're 0-8-0 on the road, and they've scored five goals in those eight road games. Like, there's a special level of putrid. How bad they, is They came it? out, they had a good first shift, though. They worked hard. I'll give them that. How bad is this Sharks team among the teams that you've called over the last little while? 
yeah, it's it's right up there with with one of the the worst in terms of talent level. Although I will say, I thought they worked really hard last night, and they that did. was a big difference from the ten one game. Um, but hard work can only get you so far if you don't have the the skill level or the finishing ability up your lineup to make a difference in games. And that's where they are right now. You know, Tomas Hurdle is kind of on an island up the lineup, and even he isn't producing that well because he doesn't have a lot of help. And so that that was the story of the game last night I thought was um, you know the Sharks found a way to hang around and they were in the game and we were even saying on the broadcast you know the the longer that they hold in this game the more something could happen where you get an awkward bounce off a skate it goes in your net suddenly you're down one nothing and you never know what could happen um, and if they hang around in enough games they will inevitably win some of them but um, that to me is has got to be frustrating if you're in that dressing room is you know a game like that last night you work hard Hard. I thought they defended really hard as well. But if you don't have that ability to produce offense up your lineup, then you can only last so long. And and that's what we saw from them yesterday. So it's going to be a long season for the players in that organization, for the people in that organization, for the fans in that city. And I guess what they have to hope is at the end of the day, they win the draft lottery and get to get the reward that they're working hard to try and achieve right now. But it's going to be a very long season in Northern California. That's for sure. So three games in four nights coming up for the Canucks tomorrow night in Colorado, Friday in Seattle, Saturday in San Jose. How do you think they'll do the goaltending? That's a fascinating question because I thought they would go Demko two of the three games uh, out east and they went to Smith twice. So as we look at, you know, an avalanche team that is always going to be a a tough out, even if they haven't been playing quite to the high levels that that we would have thought to this point in the season, uh, that's always going to be a tough game. We saw Seattle give the Canucks a tough game. And, you know, the the Sharks on the second half of a back-to-back is going to be more challenging than I think we would have at first thought coming out of the 10-1 game. So my initial thought, just looking at the face of it, would be to say you go, to to Demko against Colorado mm-hmm. and maybe you go to him again in Seattle and then you let DeSmith have the the San Jose game at the end of the trip but it wouldn't surprise me at all if they manage it differently I don't know if they'll go DeSmith twice like they did um, a couple of weeks ago but um, you know does DeSmith get the Seattle game potentially uh, so that Demko gets a couple of days in between games that might make a, a bit more sense and um, you know it's clear they have confidence in DeSmith so they're not going to be worried to play him in whichever game they see fit. Batch, this was great, bud. Thanks for doing it. Uh, Appreciate you taking the time, and have a good call on Wednesday. Enjoy the game. It should be a good one. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, right here on Sportsnet 650. Um, So, yeah, if you look at the Canucks' schedule this year, there's been a handful of, like, marquee games or matchups that were really tantalizing. I think, like, early on, I was interested to see how they'd do against Tampa Bay. Cause well, all a, the Oilers games, too. All, yeah, but the Oilers games just took on a different narrative yeah. every time mm-hmm. because it went from being like, whoa, here's a Stanley Cup contender to here's a team that you're kicking the crap out of. Here's one of the Surely worst they won't the beat them cover. twice in a row. Surely they won't beat them three times in a row. Like the new the Rangers game I thought was a big one. That, that, that was a, a great game. Um, the Dal- still, still mad about the call. You know what's interesting? The Dallas game I had kind of circled as being a, a good litmus test, and the Canucks were pretty um, – Clinical in that game, and it was yeah. it, it was it was a good game. It was two nothing win is great, but it, it lacked the sort of back and forth of mm. the heavyweight tilt like they had with the Rangers. The Leafs game it was flat, and the Canucks didn't do very well. This game in Colorado on Wednesday is a real another good litmus test for this team because it's in a tough building to play in, and they've got all the remnants, most of them anyway, of that Stanley Cup winning team from a couple of years ago. Here's a question: Where, yeah. When was their last really good game? Who's Canucks? What was oh, our last really good um, performance? Probably the six-two against Edmonton. I don't like. They went to Ottawa on one-five-two. I didn't think that was great. How did they play in Montreal? That was okay. That was okay. I yeah, mean, it yeah. wasn't. Uh, they won. They won five-two. Yeah, I mean, but it, I'm just it, thinking about the last four games. I know the the Islanders game was entertaining, but special teams. They affair, cer- right? certainly didn't How? start th- start that game very well. Uh, went to Calgary. They were tired. Didn't play well. Uh, home to Seattle. That was maybe their worst effort considering the situation. And then last night against San Jose. Yeah, 
they found a way to get it done. Yeah. I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm slowly starting to treat the Canucks differently now. I can tell. Yeah, right? Like, like it's not... Because it used to be like, they're not playing that well lately. Now it's like, when they play that? No, I get what you're doing, and I get what you're... Yeah, yeah. The, the absence... I'm holding them to a higher standard now. And the absence... And I think they're holding themselves well, to a higher standard. you have to appreciate the ebbs and flows of an NHL season. Mm-hmm. Um I think the biggest issue with the Canucks, especially last year, was there were so many extended stretches of bad results, poor hockey, tire fire in your own end defensive stuff that you kind of forgot what it's like to be a good team in the NHL where you have to manage rocky patches of play or where you don't necessarily have your A game, but you're still able to get a result. Like last year... Or you're still expected to get a result. The Canucks rarely had their A game sometimes had their B game, usually had their C game, and they were losing because of it. Mm-hmm. And when they had a good performance, there would be times where the Canucks played well last year and they would be undone by one terrible mistake in their own <laughs> end or bad goaltending or something. Now you're looking at it and you're like, well, last night, was it an oil painting? No. But your bottom it was a bottom six game. Your bottom six won you that game yesterday, right, with all the production. Well, that, Quinn Hughes, I mean that. Yeah, but, I mean, look at it. Here's the thing. You've come to expect certain things from Hughes and Miller and Pedersen, mm. and two of those three delivered with goals last night. Pedersen yeah. didn't. But, yeah, it's not like goaltending won them or anything. I mean, you talk about who were the two guys leading in shots last night. It was Mark Friedman and Teddy Bluger. <laughs> like, Lafferty gets a goal. Bluger was everywhere last well, night. Lafferty, just Lafferty not only got a goal, but made a great play before that goal. And Dakota Joshua was really good last night. Mm-hmm. Beauvillier had a good night. So you need games like that where you're not going to necessarily get stuff from your you know the three leading scorers in the NHL, but your your secondary and tertiary. Guys I, I, I think what you're saying is we. It's going to be really interesting to see how they do in Colorado. Yeah, isn't I, that the conclusion from this? Well, I look at it now as like are oh, they going to match up with the Abs or are they going to be as excited about this test as I am? Basically, are you going to mm-hmm. are you guys looking at this? You guys being the Vancouver Canucks and saying, hey, this is a, a statement game. This is if we want to really truly be considered um, among the contenders in the Western Conference, you have to be able to play with the Colorados of the world. Like, all due respect to Dallas, I still think of Colorado as a better team than Dallas. Yeah. You know, I know that Dallas is elite. I know that Jason Robertson and Miro Heiskanen mm-hmm. and all the Jake Ottinger are elite, but I still feel like because of the championship pedigree, that's a team you have to go through in Colorado. I mean, the game against Dallas might have been one of their best performances of the season, if not the best, just because they played a clinical style. Clinical, yeah. I mean, you go out and you win 2 nothing at home, mm-hmm. and I, like, I think Dallas came in and they were a bit tired, perhaps, but to take advantage of that and say, hey, we can suffocate this tired team and do this in a very clinical fashion, I think that was a big thing. You know what's fun? Looking forward to games. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was, I mean, I was... Such a novel concept, such isn't Such a novel it? concept. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was... I was active. like, hey, I'm excited about a hockey game coming up. I was actively... Oh, boy, the Canucks play tonight instead of, oh, no, the Canucks play tonight. I was actively <laughs> engaged with the game on Saturday night against Seattle. Like, when they yeah. had the late comeback and they were... They had a good chunk of change in, like, late in the third period totally. where they were just pushing and pushing. I, was like, I find oh, myself yeah. yelling at the TV now. Like, I'm yeah. actually angry when they lose. Yeah. Like, it's so, really, really cool. So, James, uh, James and QB... He texted uh, yesterday. No, this so, so this is get so get ready for this. By the way, get ready for all the poll questions. Here's here's the question from James. I got to ask you guys, if you could trade Kale McCarr for Quinn Hughes today, would you? Boom! Like get get ready for it. Sure, because because it's coming, right? Why not? You know, like that. This is this is the this is the heights that Quinn Hughes has started. Where he's getting openly compared to Kale McCarr. Because at the beginning of the season, we're all like, listen, Quinn Hughes is a great defenseman, right? Mm-hmm. But is he Kale McCarr? No. But this season, he's been at the level of Kale McCarr. And he's a year younger. Do we? T- do you have to inherit both of their contract situations? Oh, of so course. I'm, okay, then I'm taking Hughes. No, I'm not trading Hughes for McCarr. Yeah. Yeah, what, he, what's McCarr's? Uh, so Hughes's cap hit is just under eight million for the next four seasons. Where's McCarr? Uh, he's in the middle or at the end of a eight point two five. I believe that's what he's on. No, he's in the nine million. Sorry, he's on the nine million dollar deal now. Six years, fifty four million, nine million dollar cap hit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd, I'd take Hughes if it was present time. They're actually very similar contract situations. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who Hughes, I take. Hughes has a lower cap hit, but slightly. It's like fifteen thousand dollars. Hey, buddy, like buddy, every 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 penny I, I would say, pennies around here. I would say McCarr right the second, but uh-uh. if Hughes That's does this, answer. if Hughes no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. 
Quinn Hughes, hey, if you know, Hughes does this, won a Stanley Cup. I know Hughes he's had a does this team, two or three years in a row. Don't do it with the past. You have to look to the future. If, if, <laughs> right now, if this is not like a one-off season for Hughes, and he consistently gets better and better, and say three years from now yeah, yeah. he's doing this every year, oh, you expect then, him to keep getting better? Then yes, I will. Yeah. Take, then yes, I will take Hughes. Like if he if he repeats this next year, say even for mm-hmm. example, if this isn't just a, is Kale McCarr uh, allowed to get better? No, no he has oh, to no. say exactly the same. He's too old. They're the same age, aren't they? Tell now. He's yeah. 25, and what and is Hughes? Hughes is 24. But yeah, I would, oh, yeah. I would totally, totally take Hughes. If, if this is like the norm now for him, then I would pick Hughes. So, hey, sure. but by the way, guys, like this is why we should be getting his. Uh, I, I can't believe how many people are down on this idea of Canada and the U.S. playing in these games. Like, it's on like, the players to make it count. Some people just want the. Like you got Kale McCarr on one side, count. Quinn Hughes on the other side. Like, isn't that awesome? It is. All Are we the, not looking forward to this? There's going to be too many cool. to, to booing the hell out of Quinn Hughes. Yes. Yeah. Right. That American. Get out of here, you American. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready for the hatred of Kachuk to ramp up from Canadians. I Both. feel like it's like been how sort much, of how much Both. how engaged is he going to be? Yeah. Do, do, like it was. It was actually funny. Remember we asked JT Miller, like, have you thought about the Olympics? He's like, I have not given it one second of thought, and I'm like, he I said get that. it. I get it. No, but you know what? I kind of I, I kind of believed him just because he's got a lot on his plate with this team. He's he's got a young family too. Like he's got a he's got a lot of things to do. Yeah, I wonder if he's going to be like a Cabo on three, one, two, three. You know when they like? No, make he'll make the American team. Yeah, I know. I wonder if. But don't you think? Or he could pass if he's not even thinking about international competition. Maybe he'll just be like ah. Cabo. That's the great quiet part that nobody's saying. Some out loud. guys have a weird relationship with their their international organization, like. Has JT Miller ever gone and played in the world? Because uh, that's something he's ever done. I'll double check on it. Has he ever been in a position to do it? Uh, well, th- that's the big thing with a lot of these guys is you're talking about the relationship with the national programs. A lot of guys just don't even have one. Yeah. Right? If you've been to the playoffs, not like JT has. So JT played. Well, JT did. He was with, part of the development team program. Yeah. He came up right. you know yeah, what he, with the U.S. In the national juniors, team. For sure. Yeah. You know what he was part of what? was the Young Guns team, Team North America. That's right. Yeah. But yeah. I think he only played one game for he them. Did. He played for the World Junior Team and he played for the Young Gun Team, but he hasn't played for Team USA other Right. Than so why is it not front burner for him? Because it's not a thing. He, he's never participated, right? And I, I don't know. I mean, for me, the competition is going to be about... The Hughes brothers and the Kachuk brothers for the U.S. Mm-hmm. And then uh, whoever Canada is going to figure out to play in net. Those are the big stories. For well, me. McDavid too. No, but that's a given, right? I'd be nervous. Yeah, but it's, 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 it's like the lead story for me. McDavid finally gets The last time he played for internationally was on Team North America, and he was yeah. a baby face. Yeah. I'd, I'd be it's nervous a, it's for a big story because I don't know if they'd win. Yeah. I, that, would, that would that'd be the... The underlying thing for me is I'd be freaked out the entire tournament because but, I, I think the U.S. might beat them. But 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 I, in I some ways, <laughs> in some ways, I know we got to get to break. But in some ways, wouldn't it be better if the Americans beat the Canadians in that tournament to set up the Olympics? Oh, where for it really sure. matters. Where oh, it really absolutely. matters. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You Didn't know? that happen in the World World Cup of Hockey in like ninety ninety six? What Brett Hall's America lost to the USA. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, not surprisingly, a lot of people in the Dunbar Lumber text line uh, are choosing uh, Hughes over Makar. I oh, know that's hard to believe. Shocking. What? I know your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650, has a. Pro- I like how, like a year ago, he's like, Makar's like McDavid, but a defenseman. <laughs> One guy agrees with me. He's like, let's see Hughes do this for a few years first. Make sure this isn't a one-off season. Yeah, listen, all, gotta all, stay a little negative. You know, you know what's funny is like I knew this was gonna happen. Yeah, I knew these debates were gonna happen, and I'm happy to have them. But That's like, awesome. you know, at the end of the day, I am just overjoyed that the Canucks have a player like Quinn Hughes. They have never had a defenseman like this who can control the game like he does, mm-hmm. and that's what he does. He controls the game. When the puck is on his stick, and it's on his stick a lot, he is in charge out there. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.